0: let's say a prayer dear lord and heavenly father um, again we're coming to to open your word to have the bible study um, in the book of Acts I just pray that you can help us to understand more um, help us to learn the lessons help us to apply it um, not just be hearers but be doers in Jesus name I pray Amen Amen okay alright so we're heading to Acts chapter six. Acts chapter six. We're going to be doing Acts six and Acts seven today. Um, because Acts six kind of um, sets the seed of, uh, for Acts seven. So and it's not a very long chapter. So we'll do Acts six and then do the main bit of the study is on Acts seven. So, um, We could do a little bit of background because it was a couple of weeks ago since we um did a study what did we what did we do what, what was in chapter five
1: ananias and sapphira
0: ananias and sapphira that is true so um ananias and sapphira um did what they did they came and gave their their money for their house but they didn't give all the money and um obviously lied about it and they were punished with their lives for it and then um following from that the apostles got imprisoned for preaching um and then they got let released from prison by an angel and they went straight back to preaching and then they got arrested again so um So in Acts so far, you know, early church, the apostles, the the church is growing quite rapidly. Um, We saw Peter preach one sermon and 3,000 were baptized in a day. Um, And God has been adding to the church daily. Um, And so, you know, even after the things that have happened in Acts chapter five, the church is still growing. Things are still happening. The last, um, they're still preaching in the temple. People are still joining um, the early church, right? And so we come up to another stumbling block in Acts chapter 6. So let's start reading from verse 1.
2: Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a compliment against the Hebrews by Hellenists, because their widow were neglected in the daily distribution.
0: Cool. All right. So... Who, who are the who are the Hellenists? Does anyone know who the Hellenists are? No. Okay, so um, at the moment, right, the church is just comprised of Jews. Okay, so there's no there's no gent the Gentiles haven't added, haven't started yet, they haven't added to the church yet. Although today's study will um will be that'll be quite an important part of today's study. But at the moment there is no there's no Gentiles, just Jews, right? And so the Hellenists um, are, 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 he, uh, are are Jews that lived in Greece, right? Or Greek, or were Greek-speaking, right? So we may think of the Jews as like one body of people, um, like the group of Jews, but that lived in Israel. But Jews, because of like the Babylonian exile, because of um, all of the different occupations and the different, uh, how the history split, you know, the kingdom of Israel was split and all the rest of it. Jews were living all over the place at this point. And so um, they would travel back to Jerusalem for certain festivals and stuff like that. But generally speaking, Jews were dotted all around the Middle East um, and Europe at this point, right? And so you had in the early church at this point, you had the Hellenists being like the Grecian Jews. And you had the Hebrews, and the Hebrews are like the Jews that stayed in Israel, stayed in Jerusalem, right? And so um, there's already a bit of, I don't want to go as far as to say um, racism, but there's a bit of discrimination going on, right? So, what's happening? And where are we reading from at the moment? Uh, Acts chapter six, verse one. So we have, it it says the Grecian, it says um, there was murmuring of the Grecians, of the Hellenists, right, against the Hebrews, right? And what what was the Mamrengs about? So was
3: the murmurings about the racism, about the, the, you know, Hebrews were always keeping them to themselves? They were very, what's the word? We have it and you don't.
0: Yeah, sort of, basically, right? It says um, because of their widows were getting neglected in the daily administration, administration, right? What's, what's, um, What's the daily administration?
3: It's interesting how the Bible says it like that. Um, daily ministration, so I'm thinking maybe like visits and like obviously just the support of the church.
0: Support. All right, so financial support, food, support, like they're, they're being neglected essentially. Basically, Hebrews, they were widows, right, are being neglected. Then They're not getting the same support same financial support same food same whatever the widows that the hebrew women were getting mm-hmm. right and so there's already some like i don't know if it's as much as racism and maybe xenophobia going on i'm from here you're not from where i'm from you're not getting what my women are getting etc etc right that's what's happening in the early church and so far we haven't seen any of this so far what we've seen is everyone's in one accord Everyone's happy, prayer, preaching, growth. Everyone sharing everything that no one wanted, etc. But this is the first time we've seen some issues in the early church, right?
3: Interesting. For you know, reading this account, we all understand this to be like you know what the church should be, and yet they were still having to deal with issues because issues were arising. Um, it- and even some issues that we, you know, will go through today, you know, in a lot of places, it's obviously in in our church, sometimes you, you, know, for the sometimes racism, there is, and obviously it happens kind of unconsciously or consciously or unconsciously through like different cultures meeting, and you maybe you filming, all of this, but it's interesting how this is the same stuff they were having to deal with in the beginning and it makes it in my mind it makes it that it's not necessarily a charge problem as much as a human problem that that follows us wherever we go and then we have to decide how we're going to confront it
0: awesome All right? spot on so this may be to bring it closer to home say in our church if there was going to be a difference between um africans and caribbeans right And I don't know, there was was something that was made at Potluck or something that they're planning to make at Potluck and one person wanted to make gel off rice and one person wanted to make rice and peas. Um, And, you know, they're not happy about it because there's now cultural differences happening, right? And as Nathan was saying, this is something that isn't just a church problem, this is a human problem that has now entered the church. And problems are always going to enter this group of people, like the disciples didn't learn how to, how to, um, how to be church leaders. They didn't learn how to, um, you know, sort out a church, do the, do the administration, do the whatever, whatever. They just literally learned the gospel from Jesus and now are preaching. And now thousands upon thousands of people are joining this thing. And it's like, right, well, what do we do? And there's an issue now that's come up, right? So here's, here's the, is. is I feel like this bit is more relative to us. Like we we can kind of um we can kind of feel this like how it would be in our church right now, right? Um so let's continue. So let's see how they deal with it. So um verse two. We're in chapter six, verse two, yeah. Correct. Someone wants to read. So Acts chapter two. Sorry, Acts chapter
3: six, verse two that the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them. And it is not reason that we should give the word of God. For brethren, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually the history of the word. Cool. I have to ask. Did anybody get any type of, not negative vibes, that's, that's not what I'm really pointing to. Does anybody in any way think that that was a bad attitude to have? Or are we all
4: in support? Anyone? Does
0: anyone think that was a bad attitude to have?
3: Well, the only reason I ask it is just because we're seeing them. Um, just to really quickly blaze through again. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among yourselves seven is on this report that we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to pray to the ministry of the world. And it's interesting because this has always been something that's made a lot of sense in my mind, you know, the fact that there's this business that needs to be done. Somebody needs to do it. And sometimes, in our, obviously in our church, we do this thing where we all stay.
0: Nathan. I think yes, you're broken sure, okay. up with it. Or we miss we missed. Okay. Okay. Um, but if you're
3: catching the vibe, then maybe you can explain it as <laughs> better as good as I'm trying to. <laughs>
0: okay. Well <laughs> I missed quite a lot, but uh, let me let me throw let me throw something out. I assume what you're saying is that um It seems like the disciples, they're kind of passing the buck. Like they don't really want to have to do with it. Um, And that we kind of see that in our church when we're doing stuff like nominating committee and stuff like that. People don't really want to have the responsibility. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, bro. Exactly.
3: Exactly. All
0: right. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. What, What does everyone else think?
5: Anyone
0: else? No? Okay. Right. Well, um, I hear what you're saying, Nathan, in terms of this, but I think what I would say about the disciples, right, is they were uniquely positioned to preach because they had an actual eyewitness of, of the time they had with Jesus, right? Right. And so when they say in verse four, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word, it's because they were the people who were supposed to be doing that. And now everyone has ministries, everyone should be sharing, but they were in a unique position having witnessed Jesus himself, not that they were the greatest preachers or they were the most intelligent, but they had literally a a, a personal witness of what Jesus was like. And that's what they were sharing, right? But what's interesting is they say, find yourself seven men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom who may appoint you over this business. It's interesting. I was thinking to myself, in nominating committees that we have, in, um, you know, whatever, however we appoint certain people, is it is it, wow, they're really full of the Holy Ghost? Or is it um, either they're willing to do it or we think they'll be good at the job? It's interesting that they find right now that the Holy Spirit is so intricate if so um, in what they do that these people who are going to lead in this thing they need to be full of the Holy Ghost otherwise what's the point right it's not find um, seven accountants they'll be able to do it because you know they're good with numbers it's not find some people that you respect it's not find the leaders of the group it's not find the best looking or the tallest that I saw it was find people who are full of the Holy Ghost right and so those people who are full of the Holy Ghost, whatever their skill set, they'll be able to deal with, with the leadership of this, of this um, thing, right? That that was, the, that was the prerequisite for you to do this job. Yeah, Nathan?
3: Let me know if I start going out. But yeah, which, which begs the question is that someone is full of the Holy Spirit. And obviously, well, we've 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 discussed it before, but you know, fruit of the spirit and not bear the fruit of the spirit. Um, okay. Yeah, you're starting to cut out again. Which is like love, patience. Um, thank you.
0: <laughs> it's okay. Uh, I think I think I think I think I'm catching it. But you can continue.
3: I think I'm back with a stronger connection. Um,
0: yeah.
3: But yeah, I just, I, you know, the fruit of the Spirit are, are those things that show us what, what is going on inside you. And it's interesting that you would bring out that point that they didn't really look for qualifications as much as someone that was in tune with the Holy Ghost. Because if God is the one that has all the divine wisdom, then God will make sure. There was a verse that says that. God doesn't equip the call. No, God doesn't um, call the equipped. He equips the called or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so for sure, for sure. it's interesting how for us to be used powerfully for God, the only thing that we have to do, the first thing, the most important thing is for us to actually get in touch with him enough so that he can direct us. Sure. and yeah, um, We're going to see a
0: massive um, example of that in chapter seven. Right. Um, but for sure, for sure, that's exactly the point. So, let's continue, because I don't want to spend spend all of our time here before we we hit chapter 7, chapter 7 is what we want to get to. So, um, let's continue. Um, Verse 5. It says, And the saying um, pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of the faith and the Holy Ghost. We see that again. Um, And Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, the proselyte um, of Antioch, right, so these are the the men that they had, the deacons that they had to deal with um, the issue that they had, so these became kind of the leaders of the congregation at this point, right, Um, and verse 6, it says, whom they set before the apostles, and they had prayed and laid their hands on them and the word of god increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith what's in, what's, what's 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 great about verse 7 let see if you look quite.
3: i think the end of it where it says a great company of priests were obedient to the faith just because in in, in in Jesus' life, in all the Gospels, we kind of saw the priests being the ones that were... What's the word? You know, in league with, like, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the priests were these guys that were just, like, get Jesus out of here. And we're seeing... You know, it's almost like we're seeing... The, well, we're seeing a 360 here. We're, we're seeing,
0: seeing a
4: full-time
0: exactly yeah Nathan said it spot on right these the priests were the people who killed Jesus right the Pharisees the scribes the Sadducees they're all they're all the ones plotting killing Jesus angry at Jesus um didn't want him to preach etc etc um and they were groups of them that actually joined right and that's why like what was happening in the early church was so powerful But they had problems, like we have problems, but they fixed it through having goals that were aligned with the Holy Spirit, right? Let's bring in men, let's bring in people that are full of the Holy Ghost. They'll help us, right? Um, And that gives us um, some direction to how we deal with spiritual problems in the church today. Right? Okay, right, getting into the story. So today's um, title was... Um what well it was before it was know your history, but I changed it to um who's really on trial. And so we're gonna to, to see why why I named it uh, that. So let's start reading from verse eight.
1: Conceive and full of faith and power with great wonders and wonders among the people, then there arose certain of the synagogue, which was called a synagogue of the libertines and Syrians and Alexandrians, and of them of Sicilia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Awesome. So, what's happening? Here's,
0: here's Stephen. We just read about him. Who's Stephen?
3: Stephen is one of the guys that got appointed um, over, the, over the business. And it says specifically that he was full of the Holy Ghost and faith.
0: Cool. So De- Stephen was one of the deacons that just got appointed, right? So he was, he was in fact, he was the first one who was appointed um, in terms of the first one in the list. And it says, again, he was full of the um, Holy Ghost, he was full of power, full of faith, Um and he says he did wondrous,
3: wondrous miracles, wondrous um, wonders. Right? So then what happened? You saying a group of people got to, well, no. It says that there was a of the synagogue. So uh, a spiritual institution, let's call it. Um, and they started disputing with, with Stephen
0: cool and when they
3: started did, did, did we get to verse 10 think... we did get to verse 10 okay Yeah. It says, they weren't able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake which is mad because we know how yeah without guys without talking for long we know how we, we all, we're all capable of having conversations even sometimes we all call them deep conversations but sometimes our goal is to just um. sometimes our goal is to just get people to listen to us or get people to hear our opinions and and so a lot of the time we're used to having these conversations but not with like an open mind and these guys they went into it closed minded but they weren't able to, to keep that closed mindedness and resist
1: it's mad
0: why do you think they weren't able to resist
3: uh, they were disputing with the Holy Spirit yes
0: <laughs> they were disputing with the Holy Spirit. right? the body of Stephen. They were disputing with the Holy Spirit, right? And you, you and God having an argument isn't isn't too much of an argument, yeah? So Stephen is here, is preaching, and now he is disputing with these people from the synagogue, likely priests, um, or ph- Pharisees, what whatever people were in the synagogue at that point, um, and. And Stephen, who we don't—I mean, we're not told of any of Stephen's credentials. It's not like Stephen has been—he um, probably went to Hebrew school, probably—but we don't know. If he, he's not—he's not—he wasn't an ex Pharisee. He hasn't been studying the scrolls of the Torah, or whatever, for um, for years and years. And now he's a scholar. Stephen is Stephen, and yet because of the Holy Spirit, these these people haven't got—they—they can't—they can't do anything. They can't say anything that that everything that he says they can't argue against. Right, but but we'll see what their response is. Right, so um, let's read from verse
3: eleven, and we can go up to uh, fifteen. And they suborned men, which said, "We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against mm-hmm. against God." And they stirred up the people, and the elders, and the scribes, and came upon him, and caught him, and brought him to the council, and set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against the holy place, and the law. For we have heard him say, That this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place, and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel.
0: Awesome. cool. So what's happening? In fact, let me not su- ask something so so vague. What is the direct problem that they have with Stephen because there labels a few problems that they have with him. so what what problems are they having with him?
3: The problem that they have we see um, we see in, well, I think the problem they have is that people weren't able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which He speak. So we have this guy that's coming and speaking and potentially messing up their whole, um, what's the word? Uh, not viewership, this is not YouTube, but do you get me getting all up into the mind of the people in the synagogue and they can't stop it?
0: That's true, very true. But what are their specific charges? Like, what exactly are they saying is wrong with what Stephen is doing?
2: Um, they don't like think,
0: go ahead, go ahead, admit, like... Say again.
2: I don't think they like the way, like he's speaking, like he's speaking like Jesus.
0: But what? What are they? What? What? he says it in verse eleven. What exactly is are they saying? Specifically, is he doing that's wrong?
2: Blasphemous words
0: against Moses and against God. Okay, cool. Firstly, right, let's stop. Let's stop with verse eleven. Can you say blasphemous words against Moses? No. No, because
2: Moses isn't God.
0: Right, Moses isn't God. Moses was the lawgiver, and because of their affiliation with the law, um, in fact, they thought the law was God. And because the law is God's character, you know, especially when we're looking at the Ten Commandments, um, Moses was the lawgiver. So you're talking against Moses. What's going on? They actually, it's almost like they idolise Moses at this point. Right. So you're speaking blasphemy against Moses. Right. That's number one. That shouldn't be there. Right. What else do they say he did that's wrong? Coming down to verse thirteen now. They're saying that he's speaking um, blasphemous
3: words against the holy place, so like the temple, and against the law. Cool. So, obviously, the law was something that was know,
0: reverenced in the in the in the the culture. Awesome. All right. So we've got he's speaking blasphemies against Moses and against God. He's speaking blasphemies, they said they brought set up false witnesses, so people came to lie, and so they were speaking against the holy place being the temple and the law. And then, what else does it say? Verse 14
4: He said that. He will destroy the place and change the customs that Moses gave them. Cool, right? So, like Jesus, you know,
0: when Jesus says, um, "You know, when when we're done here, not one stone will be left um, at the temple. You know, the temple is going to be destroyed, and in three days it will be up, built up." And he's talking about himself. Um, here, he's he's basically saying, "Oh yeah, you you follow this Jesus? He said he's going to destroy the temple." Uh, What's more is, which is, which is most, which they're most angry about is, they shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. What customs are they talking about?
3: So I'm thinking this is, the what's it called, the mosaic law.
0: What are customs? Because customs and laws aren't the same thing. So what are customs?
3: I remember... Um, sorry, it's Ruben here. i um, sharing the phone with yep. uh, So, yeah. Uh, in sociology, we used to look at what made up a society, I think. Or maybe it was a culture. And it was about, you know, you have norms and values and customs. And the customs were like just practices that were kind of, you know, given meaning by everybody. Uh, you know celebrating christmas uh having thanksgiving having a family dinner on a sabbath that kind of thing
0: customs so what, what would we call that how that's do you an mean? easy word we use that we use for that today cultural traditions traditions right cultural traditions traditions right that's what they're angry about and- you have to wait <laughs> <laughs> it's cool it's cool <laughs> we got you right traditions that's what they're angry about this man is preaching he's preaching against moses he's preaching against the holy place he's preaching against the law he's preaching against god and he's messing up our traditions right we have our traditions we like our traditions you're messing them up we don't like you and so now stephen is on trial and what we're going to read in chapter seven is Stephen's defense. And Stephen breaks down, we're going to read it through, right? But Stephen, Stephen breaks down his defense um, and exactly why he's preaching and exactly why they are essentially wrong. And Stephen at this point is full of the Holy Ghost, right? So this, at this point is why I said, um, know your history, right? Because they basically say you don't know Moses. You don't know what Moses is about. You don't know what the customs are about. You're preaching against all of them. You're trying to take them away. You don't know your history. What's, the, what's what Stephen does now? right? So let's, let's go from, um, from chapter 7. First one.
3: Then said the high priest, are these things so? And he said, men and brethren, sorry, men, brethren, and fathers, hearken, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia Before he dwelt in Charan, I'm gonna do two more if that's alright. Yeah, go for it. And said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I shall show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Charan. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into his into this land, wherein ye now dwell. Cool. Verse five. And he gave him none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on, yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child.
0: That's six. And God spoke on this wise that his seed should sojourn in a strange land and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil four hundred years. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God, and after they shall come forth um, and they serve me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac begat Jacob and Jacob begat the 12 patriarchs. What what um, what What is Stephen doing as he starts? What did he just lay out?
3: He told them their history and where they were coming from.
0: Cool, told them the history. You don't think I know my history? Let's go for it, right? But for Abraham, this is what happened with Abraham, called him out of the land of the Chaldeans. He went to a land where God promised him. God promised him that his people were gonna come to this land. They're gonna go away into bondage. They're gonna come out and they're gonna serve him here. This is gonna be that land. And then Abraham got that, um, got that promise, did the circumcision, begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, um, Jacob begat the 12 patriarchs, right? This is 12 sons, right? The tribes of Judah, right? So straight off the bat, he's like, you don't think I know my history? We're about to go through the history. right, let's continue. Verse 9. We're going to get to the point of this whole thing in a minute. Verse
4: 9. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him, and delivered him out of all his afflictions, and gave him favour and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house.
0: That's
5: 11. 11. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering and our ancestors could not not find food. When Jacob heard that there was a grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers on on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our ancestors died. Their bodies were brought back from Shesham and placed in in the tomb that Abraham Abraham had bought for their sons Hama and Shesham for so a certain amount, sum of money.
0: Cool. Okay, right. So what, is, what do you think the purpose of, um, of what Stephen is saying here? Because he hasn't even got to Moses yet. We're about to get to Moses. He hasn't even got to Moses yet. What is, what is, uh, why, why is Stephen going through the story of Joseph? Let's lay it out. Right. So what what is um, verse eight, right. Um, and he gave the covenant, um, circumcision and Abraham begat Isaac and, um, and circumcised him on the eighth day, and begat uh, Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat the 12 patriarchs. Who are the trade? Who does the p- 12 patriarchs represent?
4: The 12 tribes.
0: The 12 tribes. And who are the 12 tribes as a group of, as a, as a nation?
3: The Israelites.
0: Israel, right? Israelites, Israel, right? So we have Israel. Then what does the Israel do?
4: <laughs> you what did they do? They turned the back on In verse nine. Oh, as in they went to Egypt. Who we went to Egypt? Well, they, well, well verse nine. They sold Joseph to Egypt, but God was cool. still with him. Cool, cool, cool. Right. So there's the, it says the patriarchs
0: moved in with envy, sold Joseph to into Egypt, but God was still with him. So what what is what is Stephen trying to parallel here?
1: Is it what they're
0: doing to him currently? Um, not who not what they're doing to him, but what they're doing to who. What they did to who. Um I don't know. When when we when we speak about um Joseph, when we speak about um, you know, maybe even Adam, Noah, we call them a type of what? Moses as well, a type of... Like Jesus. Like Jesus, right? A type of Christ, right? Like Jesus, right? So when Stephen is going through their history, he's trying to show them that what what you did to Jesus is the same thing that happened to Joseph. Yeah? So Joseph was born as a deliverer in, in his story right, he was born to um, Jacob, he was born as the deliverer, he's the one who had the the dreams, he was the miracle child, etc, etc, and if the brothers had not sold him into slavery, right, when the time of famine came, he would have been able to save them from that famine, right, he was born as the deliverer, however they rejected him, right, so they moved with envy, they sold him into Egypt, now what happened, first ten.
2: And delivered him out of all afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and cool. in governor over Egypt and all his house.
0: Great. So, out of the affliction that, out, out of the rejection that happened, what did God do to Joseph? He raised him up. He raised him up, right? He blessed him, raised him up, right? So there's there's a, there's this pattern: re- um, rejected by Israel, raised up by God. And then what happened after you got raised up by God?
2: He was able to save his people.
0: He was able to save his people. He delivered them, right? He's the one who said, look, save up the seven years of plenty. And in the seven years of famine, you'll be able to have food. And it's that same when Jacob sent his brothers to come, they were able to eat because of what Joseph did with with Pharaoh's dream, right? So Joseph delivered them. They had first rejected him, and yet now he was there to deliver them understand your history right this is what Stephen is trying to show them right okay let's move on Um, so we read up to verse 16 let's go from 17. Boom From verse 11, right? Uh, Verse 17.
3: My bad. But when the time of the promised Junai, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose which knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly with our kindred and and evil entreated our fathers, so that they cast out their young children to the end they might not live. In which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in word word and in deed. And when he was full, 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was impressed and smote the Egyptian, for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. Someone want to take over?
0: Yeah, verse 26. To win. Um, if you could read up to, not too far actually, to, um, verse
4: 28. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove. and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, ye yeah, brethren, who do ye wrong one to another? But he did, but he did that, did his neighbour wrong. Thrust him away, saying, "Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? wilt thou kill me as I did this the Egyptian yesterday?" Awesome. Right.
0: So into our next story. What's going on? Imagine Stephen is there. There's the high priest there. All the people around him, and he's saying all of these things. This is like his his defense before you know, like for his trial. And he's on to the next story. What is he saying? What's the next story, at least?
4: It's the beginning of Moses' story.
1: Cool.
0: Beginning of Moses' story, right? So Moses is in Egypt. He obviously gets born at the same time where they're killing all of the um, boys below two years old, right? All of the all, the children, all of them have to die, the firstborns. Um, and then Moses is born. He's put in the, the basket, as we know. Pharaoh's daughter takes him in. He learns all of the things he learns. It says um, he was mighty and wise and indeed, right? Moses then is at 40 years old. At 40 years old, he goes to visit his children in Israel. And what happens? he sees some injustice.
3: Um, I find it interesting because it says that basically he saw someone suffering wrong or something like that. Yeah. And you'd think that he'd have come up and kind of figured out that um, that statement is wrong anyway. But it looks like, you know, maybe, who knows, there's not any context given behind that statement, but you got to wonder did he live a very sheltered life and come and see how it really was. Likely, you know?
0: yeah. We've all seen Prince of Egypt. Also, <laughs> also, also,
3: also, guys, I feel like I was kind of like following Prince of Egypt or literally the account in the Bible while reading this. And I just wanted to point out before when we were saying, you know, Stephen was saying, you know, he started with Abraham and he's doing it so that they see that he he knows his history. This is detailed, guys. This is detailed. And it's back to this whole thing of the disciples. Do you remember when the people were asking like, like, looking at the disciples, they're like, "Why not these guys fishermen? Why are they speaking like they're educated? For mm-hmm. like, wow. real. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sorry, I was talking about uh, what was going on in the story, isn't it? So, yeah, uh, he, he saw somebody suffering wrong and basically turned around and said, you know, uh, went and killed the Egyptian, didn't he? He saw one of the Egyptians kind of going up on one of the, the two Hebrew men. And uh went and killed one of them. And as opposed to being grateful and you know, being happy that they were saved, the two men basically turned on him and later on turned around and say, you know, are you gonna do the same thing to us rather than kind of appreciate <laughs> where it's coming from? So they didn't recognize that he was gonna be a deliverer to them. Well,
0: so, right? Nathan, Nathan said, Don't be a hero, you know. Well, so, so this is this is exactly it, right? So was going in again he goes look remember what happened with moses he learned all he needed to learn he was strong he was mighty when he was ready to deliver us he came through he actually saved one of our people killed one of the egyptians and instead of us thinking wow this guy this guy is the one who's going to lead us out um he rejected him you said oh what happened to the egyptian that you killed yesterday you're going to do the same thing to us well, who makes, who makes you think you can rule over us? Who makes you think you can change traditions, go against the grain, et cetera, et cetera, right? And because of that rejection, what did Moses do? In fact, we haven't got there yet. Let's read, right? But just understand the pattern. Remember, Israel um, Israel rejected Joseph. He was born as the, as the deliverer, and they knew he was special. They rejected him. Same with Moses. He was born. He came. This, this could maybe God would have delivered them then forty years earlier, before he went into the wilderness. But no, because they rejected him, he went into the wilderness. Right? So let's read. That's a big um, point.
3: I've never thought of it like that before. That actually the timeline could have been different. You
0: know what I mean? We we know we know the timeline could have been different for them in the wilderness as well. So you know, the 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 Israelites like the long way around. We know this already. Um. But yeah, let's continue. Where are we at? Verse twenty-seven. Oh, sorry, no, no. Um, verse twenty-nine.
2: Then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Midian, or where he begat two sons.
0: We can read up to. Um, We can read up to verse
2: 33. And then 40 years were, expi- were expired and there appeared to him in the wilderness a mountain of sinner, an angel of the Lord in the flame of a fire in a bush. Then Moses saw it, he wondered at his sight and as, and as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him saying, I am the Lord of thy fathers the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled, and doth not behold. 33, yeah? Yeah. Then said the Lord of him, put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground.
0: Great, I read 34. I have seen um, and I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning and I'm come down to deliver them. And now come I will send thee into Egypt. And Moses, whom refused, saying, who made thee a ruler and a judge? And same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. Okay, so what happened to Moses? The people rejected him, then what? Then he
3: went away and was basically still ordained for the mission and ended up going back to the same people that uh rejected him. Um
0: yeah. Yeah, awesome, right? So, same thing that almost a parallel to what happened with Joseph, right? He got rejected, he went away, he got elevated by God, right? And then now the people are back. Um, same way with Moses, he got rejected, he went away, got elevated by God with the burning bush, got the um, authority and the power you're going to go deliver the people and send him back to Egypt, right? Um, from verse 36.
1: 36. Um, 36.
5: He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet, a prophet like me from your own people.
0: material um yeah let's let's actually deal with that um so obviously god came um so moses came back did all the signs and the wonders um took them out of egypt brought them out so so essentially moses delivered them right moses delivered them that's what they love to say uh moses took us out of egypt in fact they said it um in the very in in verse 14 in their very accusation of Stephen right so Moses delivered them and then he said and this is what Moses said he said um this the same Moses that said a prophet shall of the of the Lord um shall the Lord your God raise up um unto you of your brethren that shall be like me and um, you shall hear him He's saying the very person that you you're idolizing, your very person you're saying that I'm um, I'm blaspheming, if that were even possible, is the very person who told you that Jesus was coming and that you should have heard him. All right. Let's continue. Um, verse
1: thirty-eight. It is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the mount. By now, and with our fathers received the lively oracles to give unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from there, from them, and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt. Saying unto Aaron, make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses, which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we would not. What is become of him? And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifices unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Ah, right, just one more verse. Uh, forty. Then, then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the books of the prophets. O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Awesome,
0: great. So, what what is Stephen now saying?
1: Saying that everyone backslid
0: into the easier way. Yeah, exactly right. So he's Moses has gone up to the mountain. So they've done the delivery, right? They they're, they've crossed the Red Sea. They're now at Mount Sinai. Moses has gone up to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. And the people, what do they do?
1: Make carved idols.
0: They make carved idols, right? Because they're like, look, Moses been up there 40 days or something uh we, we can't be doing this anymore we need we need to we need something to worship so Aaron come come take all of our gold and, and make something so we can pray to it all right some sort of foolishness and stephen is saying stephen is trying to trying to get them to understand you're a fickle people god god brought up a deliverer in joseph they rejected him and then he still delivered them Joseph, um, Moses, God brought him up as a deliverer, you rejected him, God raised him up, he, he delivered you, and then even after he delivered you, you still then went and backslid and went up uh, uh, like you were trying to go back to Egypt, stop making the same mistake, they're trying to say you don't know your history, he's saying you don't know your history, if you knew your history, you wouldn't be making the same mistake over and over and over and over and over, and over again, Same page, right? I'm gonna take that deathly silence as a yes. Okay, let's read um from forty one. Is that where we're at?
5: Yeah, I think it's forty one.
0: Yeah,
5: yeah. Yes, it was a yes. Silence was a yes. Um okay. <laughs> uh, forty one. That was the that was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They bought sacrifices to be re, 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 revealed it. Oh, sorry, it was it was forty three that we were being
0: to be uh, sorry.
5: 43. You have taken up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Refen. And the idols, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took it, when they took the land from the nation drove them out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was, it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in a house made by human hands as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house Will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will you will the, where will my resting place be? As not my hand made all these things, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit.
0: Great. Cool. What is Stephen saying?
3: And one of the accusations that they brought up against him was that he's preaching against the temple. And in that, just gone and said that, yes, it was God that... Well, yeah, you know, guys, we, we remember the Old Testament. It was God that told them to build him a temple, but this idea that they have that that is where, that is the only place that God lives, or, you know, they just try. dig dates It's almost like they've forgotten who God is and the fact that He's everywhere. And so Stephen is just uh, refocusing that point.
0: Exactly. He, he even kind of intimates that you had the tabernacle, you had the temple, that didn't help you. From from where from what I recall, yeah, in certain times, yes, the tabernacle and um, the the Ark of the Covenant maybe as you were walking around Jericho, it helps you. Um, you know, take Jericho and stuff like that, but the, you're still doing your nonsense while you had to the tabernacle there. The real point is that you have, you know, you may be circumcised physically, but were you circumcised spiritually? You may have the temple here where you, 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 you know, you revere it and you've got all of these holy things happening in the temple, but if you're not holy yourself or if you're not taking into account what the temple represents, so what's the point? Tyler, are
4: you going to say something? To fair, I was going to say a similar point. It's like, they tried to use Moses against him. So he's gone through the whole lineage. He's like, mentioned Joseph, mentioned Moses. And he literally said, even you persecuted Moses himself. And you've persecuted every prophet that's come. It's that prophet you haven't um, persecuted. And yeah, like he said, like you guys are not spiritually there and all of this. So you're saying that. It's, the same thing is happening again, right here. Exactly, exactly. Um,
0: it, it's amazing. He goes from he goes from Abraham right through to Joshua. He's like, understand? Like, you're trying to tell me I don't know about Moses? But that blasphemy against Moses? I know the history. I know how, what our people have been like. I know the Jewish history. Do you know? Do you understand? Do you get it? Because clearly you're not getting it. Clearly you haven't learned from your ancestors, right? You think that Moses was. Was some kind of God, but you haven't learned from his stories, and you haven't learned how the people um, acted towards God in those situations, right? And you're still acting the same way today, right? Okay, let's uh um, let's continue. Verse fifty-two okay. up to you. just fifty-two and fifty-three.
3: Verse fifty-two. Which of the prophets, not your fathers, persecuted? and they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it.
0: Awesome. Wow. So that was... Uh, <laughs> so they come up to Stephen thinking um, that he's. they're obviously at the high priest's They're giving their accusations, look, he blasphemes God, he blasphemes Moses, he doesn't care about the temple, he doesn't care about our customs, um, and, you know, he needs to be dealt with. And the high priest says, okay, like, what are you saying? And Stephen goes blow by blow through the history and just says, look, (laughs) like don't come after me thinking that you're all good and that somehow I'm blaspheming. Trust me, throughout your history, you still haven't learned. And he could st- he could keep going. The whole history of Israel is a mess, it's a hot mess. The whole Old Testament Israel is a hot mess, and so um, please don't come after me thinking that I don't know my history, right? And he says he says you have been you have received the law um, by disposition of angels, and you still haven't kept it. So there's a big old rebuke coming from Stephen right here, goes, goes through the whole thing. And this is why the question comes um, from the title of, of the study, who's really on trial? Who's really on trial? Stephen is literally on trial, yes. But through what Stephen is saying and how boldly he's talking and the fact that he's filled with the Holy Spirit, um, clearly those listening are the people on trial. And, um, we're gonna go into um, we're gonna go into what the results are of them of of the next few verses, right? So um, let's let's hear their response. So verse fifty-four.
4: When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being filled of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven. I saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God.
0: Cool. Let's let's stop there, right? So let's just do 54, actually. What was their response? They gashed on him
2: with their teeth
0: poop they, were they left the on him with their teeth but before that what what does it say they were, cut to... They were cut to the heart right
3: the it's heart interesting heart. because it means it got to them and it didn't just get to them it, it shook them up differently and it's interesting though because cut being cut to the heart means that the words penetrated and that's not a bad thing uh, what is what is that verse in the Bible where um uh, Jesus turns around and says I'm come he says something along the lines of I'm come as a sword or something like that to actually like to cut apart people's um, hearts until they realize their need if you know what I'm saying and obviously in 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 this context you know when something cuts you it cuts you because it hits home it lands. And so the whole point of that is supposed to be so that it can change you. But we're about to see what goes. On.
0: Exactly. In fact, this is this is the danger of this, right? If so, if someone preaches a sermon, if someone tells you something, if someone you read the Bible, if you have a Bible study with someone, and something convicts you, what are your two choices after you've been convicted? Accept or reject. Accept or reject. Accept or reject, and what happens if you reject it?
1: I might come
5: a full circle, come back and I, accept uh, it. Go ahead. Sorry, Hassel.
3: So, what do you say?
0: If you're I'm convicted saying- about something, right? If you're convicted, like you've just had a sermon, you've just read the Bible, you've just had a Bible study. You may, maybe you've, you've listened to a song, maybe whatever spiritual thing has just hit you and you're convicted. And Tyler said you have two options. You either can accept it or reject it, right? If you, if you reject it, what would happen to you?
3: Ruben's saying that nothing would change. Um, I was going to say just because I was thinking about like Pharaoh and other people, I think that the the thing of, I think the result of not accepting is that your heart
0: hardens. So you become more set in your ways. Exactly. And then it just takes even more next time to to help you. It takes even much more of a conviction next time for you to to realise. Right? So when it says here, they were cut in their hearts, cut to the heart, but then the next sentence says, and they gnash their teeth, um, right? It, it's like, wait a minute. Boy, they went to reject just that quickly. How hard their hearts are at this point. Stephen can break down their whole history, so much so that, and, the, and speaking with the Holy Spirit, right, this is not just good words from Stephen, but you've got the Holy Spirit there to do the, to do the heavy lifting, and they're cut to their heart, and yet they're still it. That means that your hearts are hard at this point. Well, we need to be careful about um, when we're convicted about certain things, we can't just shrug our shoulders and be like, "Yeah, yeah, okay, whatever." Um, or I'm not going to do what like I feel convicted to do is dangerous because it's just next time it's going to be that much easier to reject the 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 um, the conviction, and the time after that even more easier to reject the conviction until you don't really feel convicted anymore.
4: Just gonna say, like, do you know how mad you have to be to bite somebody as like a, as a whole adult? They're you know, gnashing him with their teeth. Like, I've not even seen that before. Yeah, it's a mad one. Wait, do they literally bite him? I thought they'll just kiss my
1: teeth.
0: Yeah, I think it's more of like an aggression thing that okay. they're actually biting him, to be honest. Okay. But yeah. Um, But yeah, let's continue reading. So um, from verse 57.
3: Then they cried out with a loud voice. Sorry, go ahead.
2: they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him and the witnesses lay down their clothes at the young man's feet.
0: His name was Saul. Cool. Um, understand, right, that they're in a court with the high priest. The people have not even heard the verdict of what the high priest is saying. It's not like the high priest went, yep, yeah, okay, he's, he's a heretic, let's, let's deal with him this way. What Stephen said was so potent, it hit them so much to the core that they, they were just enraged. It was even, they had to accept what he was saying with humbleness, or they just they, they couldn't hack it. So they just jumped on him. Like they just ran, you could imagine the whole throng just like, no, nah, no, nah, we can't handle this. And they just riot. at him. Right? They rushed him. Stephen got rushed at this point. Yeah. Um who's there? Who's there to witness all of this? Verse fifty-eight. The young man, a young man like Saul. A young man like Saul, right? And we're gonna we're gonna deal with Saul in in the uh, following couple of weeks, right? But the re- the the fact that Saul is mentioned here is important, and we're gonna get to the um to the reason why in a minute. But let's just read the last couple of verses, right? Um, fifty-nine and sixty.
2: And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin on their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep.
0: Cool. All right. So Stephen, just after he preached that sermon, got stoned to death. And he said the similar words to Jesus. Um, you know, don't don't lay the sin to their charge, right? As he's looking up to heaven, and it says, as they looked at him, it's like he had an angelic countenance on his face. So Stephen was that guy. So the question we ha- I have is right. Okay, there's two. There's there's a couple points from this. Number one um what does it take to be able to die for your faith number one um but also along with that because i feel like that's it's it's difficult to um it's difficult to imagine that given our current society right or at least where we live like right? death because of our religion is seems far away but maybe this is a bit closer to home what do you think specifically caused Stephen's persecution or any of the persecution we've seen so far in acts
3: um this might be a little bit abstract but i want to see the devil and I, the only reason I'm saying it like that and being well not abstract but just like direct like that is just because this was the beginning of the, the early church and we all know this to so him wanted to flame all the Spanners into the works. Everything that he could do to limit what was going on or to derive to, to divide the people, that's what he
0: would do. That is true. That is true, that's true. But let's let's get more um specific. What exactly were they doing
4: that led to persecution? They were spreading the truth and the gospel, and ultimately, people didn't like it.
0: Cool. They're spreading the truth, right? They're spreading the truth. And what I thought to myself was it's not that the fact that they believed, them believing what they believed wasn't an issue. The issue was the spreading. When we look at Jesus, right, there was no problem with Jesus um, until he started doing what he was doing publicly and people started to follow him. That's when the Pharisees were like, wait a minute, no, we've got we to get a handle on this. When it was just, you know, a couple of people out in the wilderness doing what they're doing, they're not really too bothered. When people actually started listening and doing things and you know, and you know, when we look at Acts, the reason why the they, they didn't just go and find these people and persecute them, it was when Peter and the disciples were preaching in the temple. Uh, look, we can't have this Let's we we need to arrest them. It's when Stephen is preaching and doing miraculous things that's when, wait a minute, we can't have this guy preaching like this. No, no, we need to get in. And so it's not specifically the belief that led to the persecution. It was the action. Yeah, Nathan.
3: All right, so I read something this morning talking about pride. um, And it was about kind of Lucifer's falling in heaven. And uh, it said something about how he was it didn't use the word convicted but it it talked about the fact that he was convinced yeah he was convinced at least in a persuaded in his mind that was the definition i found of convinced but he was persuaded in his mind that he was in the wrong yeah
1: Mm.
3: and that he um needed to actually turn back to god and he nearly did but it was his pride that wouldn't allow him to kind of accept the fact that someone so exalted could have got it so wrong. So he ended up just firming up his decision. And I know you said something earlier about how, obviously, um, when they heard this, they had two options. They were either going to humble themselves and go with it or completely turn against it. And Tyler, you said about gnashing the teeth, but I guess I, I I, kind of hear that, like a saying that we use these days so that you know people are foaming at the mouth or something like that. Um, you know, people just, you know, it, it goes right past their brain now. They're just angry and they're in in incensed. But I think the main thing is that maybe it was pride that um, made them kind of really start to target him. Again, as soon as their pride and as soon as their power was affected, now they were like, no, we can't have that. And even more so when their consciousness, their conscience was pricked at the end of this like, sermon because this actually was serious now. And it wasn't a case of, okay, you've convinced us, so we're going to stand down. It was, you've convinced us, but we've still got feelings in play. So it seems like the guys got very up in their feelings and all of a sudden they weren't in control anymore. For sure.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, But what sparks that what sparks that emotional response, what sparked the conviction was not the fact that they knew that some people, there was some group called the Christians and there was a church somewhere. It was the fact that they were literally hearing it, right? It was the fact that this person was literally there confronting them with the message. And so for us, when we think about, you know, persecution and when we think about stuff things like that, it's very distant from us. But where you would find more persecution is if you are actually active. No one cares about an arbitrary belief. It's when that belief becomes action. That's when people start taking notice for for the good or for the bad. And so better better if we're actually about this life and, you know, leading towards Stephen even being, you know, able to die for, for what he believed in it's having action rather than just um, stating that you believe something. Yeah. The last thing I wanted us to discuss is, is, the, um, is the gravity of this moment. Do you, does anyone know what, what Steven's death represented? He was the first of something. Some may say he was the second, but yeah, the first.
2: First martyr.
0: He was the first martyr, right? Stephen was the first martyr. And Stephen being the first martyr represented something um, quite large. When we talk about this idea of hardening your heart and, and being convicted yet not responding there was something historically that was quite deep about this. Um, and we're going to go back to Daniel, right? So Daniel chapter
1: nine. And
0: we we'll at get the verse. Daniel nine. And we can read from... First is twenty four, and we're going to read up to twenty seven.
2: What was that
0: say? Um, Daniel chapter 9 verses 24
3: to 27 70 weeks are determined upon oh. thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins And to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now therefore, sorry, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score in two weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince shall come, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. Okay, we
0: can stop that. Okay, what, what, what is that passage describing? What prophecy?
4: Is that leading up to the Messiah from when Daniel's time?
0: Uh, yes. It's called the 70-week prophecy. That's what we would call it. Does anyone know the... What, what, what is the um, significance of the 70-week prophecy? It's leading up to the Messiah, yes. But was the significance of the prophecy? I don't want to go too much into it because we'd have a lot of time to describe the whole prophecy. But yeah, what's the significance?
3: What
1: he
3: According to verse twenty-four, it's um, it's basically the time that the the people of Israel are given to fix up.
0: Exactly right. Daniel says, "Look, you're gonna have this time." Before the Messiah comes to fix up, we've just gone through the history, how they uh, they how they behaved through Joseph, through Moses, through after Moses, all the way down through history, we got to Daniel. Daniel's like, look, <laughs> we can't keep doing this. You're gonna have this amount of time. It, it's um sixty nine weeks. Three score three score and two weeks, sixty two weeks. Sixty two weeks until the Messiah comes, right? Um, so, you know, fix up, fix up, right? So then Jesus comes. I think the, the part of the 70-week prophecy is, is started when the Messiah comes is at his baptism, I believe. Um, halfway past that, so three and a half years past that is his death, and then three and a half past his death is the stoning of Stephen. And so you have the 70 weeks all the way up to accept the Messiah, and we have this pattern. Jesus came he was rejected he was lifted up by God he delivered everybody um, through his death and resurrection delivered everyone from sin and now you have a choice we've gone through this pattern before Stephen has laid it all out he's laid out your history he's laid out the pattern what are you going to do with Jesus and they were still reject him and in that moment of him rejecting him and why Saul being there is so important is because in that action the Jews re- um, stopped, went, went from literal Israel to spiritual Israel. The Jews were no longer the chosen people from this moment. And then the church, this is when Saul's ministry starts um, in Acts. We start to see Saul's journey and into Saul being the apostle that took uh, the message to the Gentiles. But this was the moment in which the Jews rejected Jesus. This was the last thing. They could have accepted him when he came, when he first came, let alone when he first started his ministry, let alone when he died, let alone like, three and a half years after his dying and preaching. They're still rejecting him. Daniel said, look, this is it. This is your last chance. And so now the stoning of Stephen is the last, is was was the, the the straw that broke the camel's back, or whatever the saying is, right? This was it for Israel in terms of being literal Israel and it moved to being spiritual Israel and the message going out to the Gentiles. Which is why it was so important where it says, and Saul was there, because Saul obviously, throughout this experience, it must have cut him deeply, listening to what Stephen said. And then over the next few maybe months or however long it was until his, um, until his experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus and his conversion. But if the Jews had, had accepted him, then maybe Paul, Saul, Paul would have been a minister for Jesus um, through Jews if they had accepted him, but they didn't. And so, you know, the same way Moses could have delivered them 40 years before, same way Joseph could have delivered them without being sold into slavery in, um, in Egypt. Same way the Jews could have still been the, the 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 avenue in which the world was saved, but that got shifted at this point. Uh, Nathan, Nathan, did you want to say something?
3: No. Sorry, I was talking to to the mute by This man. Yeah, so there was something I read again a couple years ago now that was kind of talking about the fact that even though, so you can liken, um, liken the world's history as like a, a river or a sea and how the waves on the top might just seem, they're obviously all you can see and they look like they're moving in one direction, but the current is all the way underneath and that's what's really determining the flow of the water and that. So yeah, you've got the the surface on the top that can be changed by the wind on any given day. But you've got underneath that's doing what it's doing as well. And um, someone kind of likened that to Bible prophecy. And it seems really unbelievable, to be honest, that you've got a prophecy all these years later, 70 weeks. So that's 70 times seven. Um, I'm thinking of maybe the the Bible principle of one year for a day. Yeah, so that, that 490 years like that. And you're telling yep. me that moment. Yeah, you know, Daniel has has said that this is the time that you've got. And you're telling me as well that Saul is there within that moment, and that one of the most powerful forces for the Gentiles is almost giving his marching orders there without even being realized. You know. And it just goes to show that, it, you know, it probably makes us afraid. Well, I'll speak of myself. It makes me afraid. It makes me think, you know, there's so much of God that seems uh, ambiguous and in our daily lives, like, not really easily picked up on. You know, the spiritual seems like another realm completely. I was talking to Eurice the other day and talking about how a lot of the time spirituality seems like a out-of-body experience, a really, you know, oh you know you have to be in a certain mindset to feel it and it's almost like psychedelic but this right here is saying that even through the really daily occurrences which I don't think that there may have been stoning people every day back here but you know this guy which in the surface is just a random story of a not too great day in Israel and in reality it's something that's already been ordained and is about to move on to the next stage and it's just so big and massive and think that god is that detailed is something else
0: for sure for sure okay so before we close thanks Um, before we close this is where the rubber hits the road in terms of the story because you may be thinking um why does this impact us um what do you think it is for us to, to reject Jesus now? Obviously they were rejecting him then. What would it be like for say us even in the church to reject Jesus now? What does that look like?
2: I don't get the question. What do you mean? Um what does it look like?
0: Like what, what would it what would it um say so if say so if you were gonna reject Jesus in your life? right literally what would what would it look like for your life
2: very silly idea
0: it would be a silly idea agreed but i think that uh, this is where my question comes from right i think rejecting jesus um is something that can be a lot less um dramatic than we think so rejecting jesus back then was quite dramatic clearly you know a man got stoned um rejecting Jesus for us you may have thought of well I would leave the church or I would um, or I would go into the world but sometimes it's not even that dramatic sometimes rejecting Jesus is just being indifferent to him being indifferent to your spiritual walk being indifferent to spending time with him being indifferent to reading the word being indifferent to Bible study being indifferent to to anything spiritual. You could be in church, you could do whatever you normally do, but you could be quite indifferent to the whole thing. And the point of being spiritual Israel is nothing to do with being Seventh-day Adventist or even technically being having the name of, of Christianity. Being spiritual Israel is, the, is is accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And living out that truth. And so although our rejection of Jesus may not be so obvious, may not be so um, dramatic, may not lead to someone being stoned, the actual spiritual implications may be exactly the same. And so who is actually on trial? We're all on trial. Everyone who hears, um, what Stephen says is on trial, and it's like, am I going to take that on board? Am I going to take this seriously? Am I going to, or am I going to be indifferent to it all, or continue to be indifferent to it all? And as we said, that process of your heart being high, harder every time you're convicted. Yeah. Is there any other points or questions before we close to the meeting? running out of time. No? Okay. Um, if yeah, I just so, want to... Say, no, maybe, okay.
3: You know, if we've, we've established that rejecting God in our day and age is, can, can be a really subtle thing that happens over a while, and obviously, it, you know, it's possible that the thought, you know, if you have rejected God, then the thought wouldn't come to your mind so that you know it. Um, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I'm basically saying that there's not necessarily a clear and fast way to know. And one of the things that we've established before is that while we're still holding on to some type of spiritual morality, while we're still understanding that there is a God and having even the smallest interest in that then we're not at that point yet but what are the ways to keep it so that we we know that we're not rejecting god um is it is is it just you know what do you guys think is it just is it, is it just like bible study is it just um you know is is there a way to feel when when we're connecting to god one of the things that I've been thinking of more and more is just like, um, you know, this idea that... I, I, I think I kept seeing stuff online and stuff that's just saying, you know, God never asked you to feel spiritual. God never asked you to feel like, you know, like, like everything was going okay or that he was still with you. He just asked you to know that that was the case. And so, you know, obviously we see like, you know, we, we, we love this, this phrase, faithful feeling our faith over feeling and other things but yeah just for us right now what does it feel like or what does it What well, what do we need to look for to know that we're not rejecting God does anyone have any ideas
1: I think probably looking at your time and seeing what time you are making for God and what time you are putting into other things that are probably becoming idols before God
0: I, I think that's a good
4: measuring stick. Fair, Tyler. Nice.
1: Sorry.
4: Sorry. Sorry, Linnea, do you mind just really repeating what you just said? Sorry, Tyler. Not
1: good. No, I was saying, um, looking at your time and just looking at what, like, looking back at your can see what time did I actually make for God intentionally and what time did I into other things which I could have gave, given less time to put more time for God and even like in your normal choices in life like choosing to get one thing over another like asking God like what do you think and looking at that like, thinking what would God do in situations like in how you do and like management life. Thanks. Thanks. Sorry Taylor. Go
4: ahead.
1: That's right. You give
4: me time to actually think about my answer. Um, it's funny because I was actually I was going to ask the same question Nathan asked so I'm glad you kind of beat me to it um, I think for me sometimes it's we over complicate things a lot sometimes I think sometimes we try to I don't know, do too much and I think we're not doing enough so I think for me sometimes it's learning that as long as I am saying you know I am accepting what the, what the Bible says you know if I learn something new Sometimes, you know, sometimes you hear something, like, oh, I really want to hear that. Because you know you're doing it. But it's saying to yourself, okay, I need to turn around. I need to actually start doing that properly. So each time you learn something new about God and yourself, I think as long as you're actively saying, okay, I'm going to make myself a better person than I was yesterday, I think you're sort of on the right track. I don't know what you guys think about that. I hear
0: that. I think... I think God um, wants us to have a relationship with him. I think that's that's what it comes down to. And so what Linnea said about time is, is really important because how would you build a relationship without time? Um, and so I think it will be... I think through the Holy Spirit, through God's um, prodding on our hearts, you will know in your heart of hearts if um you and god are making progress or if you and god aren't really on talking basis but you can i mean it's quite easy to see like have you when was the last time you prayed properly prayed when was the last time you properly said you know i'm gonna sit down and really study when do you get more excited about a new tv show coming out or um something like that than then getting into the word um and, and and seeing that progress that you're making over time am I still the same I am is my spiritual walk still the same now as it was six months ago have I got worse than it was six months ago and I think looking at these things I think it's I don't think God will leave you to, to think, oh, I don't know. I don't really know how my spiritual walk is going. I think it's very rare that I personally, I think it's very rare that I've ever felt, oh, I'm not really sure how me and God are. Generally, like I, <laughs> I'm convicted to think, right, it's not really where it should be. Or, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm trying and God is pulling me through and I've had a good week. It's one of them ones. And so I think... Um, generally speaking it's reasonably easy to judge with those with those factors um Nathan Gerd um to be fair
3: guys I can't be correcting everybody every time so for today's purposes I am Nathan as well yeah um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so Ty that that point that you made was a big one because you said something along the lines that we put too much pressure on ourselves yeah or we can put too much pressure on ourselves. And I think that goes both ways. You can then become completely relaxed and just think, okay, the Lord will access through me, access me me through the anime that I'm watching if he wants to. So I'm just going to do me. and He'll find me if he wants to. Yeah. But, um, you made a point about like, obviously not putting too much pressure on it. And I'm, I'm really deep in that because, you know, you can decide, oh man, I want to have a birthday celebration. Yeah. And, uh, you can actually put some effort into making one. Or you can decide that, uh, you know, actually, no, you know what? I'm putting too much pressure on myself. I'm going to relax and lay back and not really do anything. And then the day comes and you're like, wait, hold on. Why have I not got something? It's because you didn't put in the effort. Yeah. And in the same way, you can probably build yourself up, hyping it up so much, thinking, I want to do this. I want to do a Magaluf. I want to do this different place and that different place. And all of a sudden you've made it so big that you can't do it. And you're almost kicking yourself for not being able to do that, looking at other people's Instagram and, you know, thinking, oh man, my birthday is not as good. This is a very, very mad example. Nathan's laughing at me. But what I'm trying to say is we probably do the same thing spiritually. Yeah. Where we're actually like, oh man, if I'm not basically doing an r- uprandy ski, then what am I even trying? And it's not like that. At the end of the day, the little something that we have is all at once. And maybe... To look at it, look at it that way is like a little bit kinder to ourselves, but it's also him being kind to us, and us not having to think about us. And also, also I'll, I'll just add to that That's like the fact that if it's relationship that we're after, and we know that it's relationship that God's after, then all He wants is for us to pray a little bit more. And when I say a little bit more, I just mean like okay. you know, like I used to, but pray to Him like as a person, um, and Obviously, read our Bible, even if it's just a little bit. Expecting to meet God, or expect, or knowing that that's where he'll see us from. So, or sorry, knowing that that's where we'll see him, and it goes from there. One, one more point. One more point to add. Uh, just before, like we let other people speak. <laughs> um, there's a song that Reese was telling me about that Nathan knows. Um, I think a lot of you probably heard it. Uh, Chandra Moore, where are you now? Is it Chandler Moore? It's somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, yes Um And this song, it's kind of, it's, it's a weird vibe because I remember when I used to do Spoken Words, I used to understand this kind of unspoken rule that you don't speak about a depressing, struggling, you know, really sometimes discouraging topic and leave it in a discouraging place. You also bring it up at the end to kind of show that there is a way out and a way up. So you're not leaving people in a mess. And this song is asking, where are you now? Yeah. I can't see you Lord. Where are you? But at the end of it, it speaks faith. It says, you know, um, it feels good just to know, even though I can't see you, that you're still in control. And maybe that's a, you know, a similar thing that we can bring our real, very real, very, sometimes not really seeing God and not really feeling his presence, we can bring those feelings to him but the question at the end of it is are we going to believe in the promises that he has given us to say I am there with you, I am seeking you I am never leaving you or forsaking you all of those things so that might help with um, coming to him as well just wanted to add that bit
0: I hear that, I hear that. Thanks for the contributions. Um, does anyone else have any last comments before we wrap up?
4: I think just to say um so the last point. Like having a relationship with God and worshiping God is supposed to be joyous. Event, mm. I mean, that's that's where I was mainly coming from. It's supposed to be a, a joy and not a strenuous sort of everyday. Oh my gosh, am I doing it from right? Am I that's where I was coming from. Like, seven god is supposed to be a joy, you supposed to be happy, you supposed to improve your life, and what's and, then, and yeah, that's what I was pretty much trying to say. I hear
0: that. I hear that. Do you want to pray to Christ?
4: Haven't? Will you look at that? Yes, I will pray. <laughs> we thank you for the study that we've had today where we've gone through acts um thank you for being with reese um you know preparing these bible studies it's been over a year now and i know it can't be easy to you know to try and stay connected with you to be able to constantly you know prepare and study you know the amount of work that goes in behind the scenes that we don't see Lord. Just like to thank you and I pray you continue to be with him as he does continue, you know, to do this ministry for you. And I pray, pray, thanks for all of us here that are in attendance today, those that are here now, those that have to drop off, Lord. You know, it's not always easy, like, to be at the end, here, we had a little discussion about how hard it can be, or how easy it should be to you know, be able to have a relationship with you. And sometimes we may stray away from that, but I pray you give us the strength and the encouragement to always know that you are there with us, you're literally a moment away, like... We can always look up to you. you. can always ask you something. You're always there to help us out. So pray just help us. All, all those that are listening of this word, study today, pray just help us with our spiritual work and in our spiritual life. Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.
0: Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right.